Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, an unconventional podcast for the unconventional music lover, brought to you by Music on the Move Studios, a woman-led company working to help musicians move their careers forward through education and live events. Thanks for tuning in to episode 19 of season 3, and I have to say that I really had an amazing conversation with this next artist. His name is Julian Fulco Perone. He's from the Denver, Colorado area. And Julian's music is really an eclectic mix. I mean, I I absolutely love his throwback vibe, though. So I think that's that's one of the things that intrigued me the most about Julian is that a lot of his music has this like 60s and 70s kind of vibe about it. And those are my my eras. Like the, some of my most favorite tunes have come out of both of those decades. And so when Julian and I, when we sat down, we started talking about influences and we almost did a like decade for decade kind of like run through on some of his favorite artists. And we, you know, we touch on quite a few of them throughout the conversation, but I just really love his music because of, of that amazing, just classic vibe that it's got going on so I want to share a track with you called All the Lights and it is very disco and very just retro feeling so I hope it gives you a good vibe and makes you tap your toe like it did for me. This is All the Lights by Julian Fulco Perone. Welcome to Paradox Jukebox, everybody. It's your host, Katie Thompson, and today I have Julian Fulco Perone with me. Julian, how are you doing, man? I'm really good. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I am elated to have you on the show to talk about your music today because I've been, I've been listening to it, binging it, and I, I think I'm turning into an Uber fan, dude. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, I definitely want to talk about all the lights and, you know, we can discuss a couple of other tracks. But um, I just wanted to give you like before we even get into your backstory, I wanted to tell you like two things immediately that I heard the second that I listened to the track, even without looking at your bio was like, first and foremost, I got a very hard Bee Gees vibe. Oh, really? And then yeah. and then I got a very hard Elton John vibe. Okay. Yeah. And then and then I read your bio and I'm like, awesome. Like my ears are attuned. So um so hopefully you're not offended by the Bee Gees. I know some people don't like no, them. No, I, I love the Bee Gees, actually. That's kind of where I'm going with this next record and we can talk more about that. But I'm kind of making a Bee Gees disco and a lot of prints I've been listening to. So like if you mash up BG's Prince and kind of keeping that Elton John influence. He's a big influence of mine too. So yeah, you were pretty right on the money there. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's really kick this off with you talking about your backstory and, you know, just give us like a brief synopsis of how you started in music and how you got to where you are today. 
Yeah, no. So I, I grew up in uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and that's kind of where I was born and then kind of spent some time between Alaska and Texas. So I was bouncing back and forth between family and, and school and whatnot. And um, my my dad lives in Texas and I kind of like, he he plays music, he plays some guitar, a lot of acoustic stuff. So that's kind of where I was like first exposed to music, I think. And then going back to Alaska, I ended up getting guitar and uh, like I got my first guitar, I think when I was 12 or so and kind of started there. I think that was my first like primary instrument. Um, and then from there, yeah, I just kind of uh, had a little uh, very grateful. My my mother kind of we had an extra bedroom that was just like dedicated to like a music space. And so I'm very grateful that she kind of like allowed me to have that space looking back and eventually started getting like a, a drum kit in there electric drum kit for for the house we we had to compromise there but electric drum kit we got some bass and guitar all this stuff and i started playing all that and it's kind of funny because my primary instrument now i think is keys which is nothing what i started with i kind of that came later i think i've just, i've been playing keys now for just about 3 4 years it's kind of a newer uh addition but yeah it all started for me with guitar and just like a lot of uh um what I'm listening to now and kind of what my biggest influences are is a lot of like seventies and sixties and, and things like that. But it's not really what I started with. I actually was a, a hard rock and metal kid growing up. And so it's like, I had all these influences that where I started and kind of just going back in time and listening to a lot of the early jazz records of the you fifties know, and, and kind of expanding through the psychedelic period of the sixties and some of the funk and soul of the seventies and kind of working my way just through um, through history there. And it's just kind of be a fun thing for me to kind of experience and just listening to all these different places that you can pull from. So I try to throw as much of that as I can into the music. And, and that's actually kind of ties into it. My, my live band is called The Time Travelers. So it's Julian Fulco Prone and The Time Travelers because it's like we all the guys in my band too have so many diverse influences and things they love. So it's it's a fun thing to be able to pull all of that from everybody and, and try to bring it into one show. That is awesome. Okay. So I have to know who are some of your, let's, let's kind of go decade for decade for a second. Mm -hmm. Who, like, what, what were you listening to in the era of the fifties? Yeah, for me, um, a big fifties and I guess early sixties too, where that transitions, but I guess fifties guy, a lot of, um, uh, a lot of Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Louis Armstrong, a lot of the records they did together and independently, that was a big influence for me. And also when I was first getting into piano, uh, like Thelonious Monk, who's was just like such a jazz legend. And just like, I love, it's almost like some of his, it's crazy. He plays a lot of melodies and then he'll repeat it in such a way. It's like, it's almost like jazz in a pop structure in certain instances. It's, it, it was so fascinating to hear that. Um, because, yeah, very jazz and crazy melodies, but then you'd kind of hear a lot of it again and it just repeats itself. So I just was really fascinated with his writing process. So that was a big one for me for the 50s and a lot of those early keyboard uh, or piano guys and um, the horn players. Um, I think uh, Ch uh, Charles Mingus was another great influence. I think maybe more 60s stuff, but, you know, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of classic uh, Dixieland style of Louis Armstrong, too, for sure. Awesome. Okay, so let's move into into the '60s, especially with that yeah. psychedelic rock era. So, what were your influences there? Yeah, so that kind of kind of really geared uh, into the whole Beatles and Beach Boys side of things, and that like 
you know, feud, quote unquote, it's not even a feud. It's like a friendly competition. They had their back and forth of like, you know, we're going to write one album and then we're going to try to top you. And then they would kind of go back and forth. So that was kind of fun to dive into both sides of that. And actually I'm sitting here, I've got my, uh, hey, this is a Paul McCartney. I got to see him live uh, last year. It was, uh, we saw it, we went to Boston uh, to go see him and me and my girlfriend actually got moved up to the front row. It was insane. Like yeah. we just, we were just walking backstage and or not backstage, sorry. Just like walking in the like arena beforehand or the stadium um, and just kind of were like, well, let's just eat, kind of get some food beforehand. And some guy walks up to us. He's like, Hey, I'm, we're with, uh, we're with Paul. And we were just kind of talking to some of his younger crowd, some of his fans and we wanted to kind of talk a little bit. So we're like, okay, well, what's up? And we're just kind of talking and, and told him kind of our story and how much of an influence he is on my work and, and musically, especially all his stuff, solo work with wings and, uh, just kind of the eighties era and everything he did. Uh, post Beatles was super influential on me as well as his stuff with the Beatles and kind of he was like well if you guys are interested we have some tickets and I'm like wait that is just such an incredible thing so being able to see him and I did uh before the pandemic I got to see my other big influence and Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys see him and actually uh it was here in Denver they played a little theater gig and it was like him and a few of the members from Beach Boys and the Zombies opened up for him and played their entire Odyssey and Oracle album from Get start out. to finish yeah and that was just they're another big influence of mine from the 60s and that was so crazy because they had actually brought out I believe all their original members for that like their original bass player who usually doesn't play with them and you know they still got uh Colin and and you know, a couple of the guys that are always touring, but they have, yeah, that when they played that, like some of the tracks on that album, just like, you know, hearing them come to life, they felt like such album tracks and like, like you had to hear them in a certain way, but for them to play it all the way through like that, it was just such a surreal experience. So yeah, very fortunate to have some, some cool shows under my belt to like get to see these guys. That is mind blowing. Um, I'm super jealous. Number one. Uh, I'm a massive fan of of the zombies and of the Beach Boys. Um, mm -hmm. I, so I wanted to tell you, our very first episode of season three featured Carol Kay, who mm. played bass on Pet Sounds. Yeah, and absolutely. She, and she and Brian worked hand in hand. Like it, he pretty much, if he was going to put out a record, he wasn't going to do it without Carol on bass. Yeah. So I'm going to send you that link so that you can listen to it Absolutely. at some point. Um, I'd love to. I think there's a couple of nuggets in there about Brian and, you know, her. I think you would really appreciate. So that's oh, great. That's awesome, dude. Okay. <laughs> uh, so let's move into, well, are there any other 60s influences that you can think of? There's a, I mean, there's a ton, I think. Um, those are kind of the main ones for me. And then kind of still just like uh some of those jazz guys that i mentioned off before like you know some of their where their rec uh their records were going throughout that time and like uh some of the coltrane stuff and like you know just things like that through the like the psychedelic jazz records you know in the 67 and the eras like that there's a record called ohm which is just very insane and, and I, I love to listen to that one just like some of that period that carried through uh where what jazz was doing in that time was super influential on me as well um but yeah, I mean, I think the main ones are really like that, like, you know, Beatles, Beach Boys, Crosby, Stills, Nash, like, like kind of like that, uh, just the era of like harmonies and like really playing with like being in the studio and like, what can we do here? Like, let's start to explore a little bit more and 
like towards the end of the 60s is where I think the studio really was getting used as an instrument uh, in addition to, you know, everything else. It wasn't just like this place you go to make the song. It was like you can do a lot with within a studio to to really define your sound. So that was kind of like what opened my eyes a little bit is like how those guys worked. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you have the onslaught of Phil Spector and Quincy Jones, Mm -hmm. who dominated as far as the producing world is. I mean, you know, you can't listen to you can't listen to a lot of records today without some kind of influence from one or one or both of those, you know, producers. Yeah, Um, no, you're right. Absolutely. So that's that's awesome. All right. So what about the 70s? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. I've never done it like this, like just diving through. like uh through the different periods like this and really thought so much like um just in chronological order but i think this period again is still kind of like the beatles going solo right and like a lot of that stuff and branching out a lot of i love a lot of the 70s george harrison records um the stuff he was doing was super great the beach boys honestly some of my favorite stuff they did outside of like the late 60s was in the 70s they're really cool they have a lot of really cool records that i think maybe get dismissed and they weren't really like the talk of the town during this time you know they had kind of but they were not washed by any means i mean they had a ton of great records in the 70s sunflower right right on 70 was such a good one and but even into the later 70s i i think a lot of my influences come from a lot of the funk and like the disco era and soul and that's kind of stuff emerging and becoming more prominent um a lot of like a lot of a, a lot of love uh i love a lot of afro disco and like some japanese disco i've been listening to lately from the 70s a lot of cool artists there um bgs is a good one that you pointed out uh, of course elton john too is a big one for me and really getting into uh piano like like i taught myself how to play keys basically from listening to elton records and queen records and just things like that, like those were some of my guys that I strive towards of like, well, this is how I'm going to play. So I got to figure it out. And, and, you know, I guess that kind of helped me in a way, you know, I'm by no means a, a, as skilled or talented as, as Elton on the keys, but it's just something that I, that's where I strive for. And what I started with is like playing along to his tracks and just kind of trying to teach myself from that. So yeah, I'd say Elton and, and Queen really dominated my seventies influences. Absolutely. I love this. This is this is so cool because I mean, I don't get to talk to a lot of people that are in my age bracket about all of these these amazing artists from the fifties, sixties, and seventies, right? Like, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that our parents were listening to. I know, right? And and, <laughs> and grandparents too. I mean, um, so I just I I love that you're ticking so many boxes because I'm like, yep, that all of this, all of that, <laughs> like I'm, I'm yeah. literally feverishly writing all of this down going, holy shit, we have literally the same taste in music. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's not so much to like the music they were making. It's like the way in which they had to create, I think is what's really inspiring to me too, is like the limitations that the, a lot of these people had and, and not just in the music world, but in like the film world too. Like you had to commit yourself to, to your art and like, this is the you know like we don't have unlimited tape here we have to like really go for something and like the limited amount of resources you know i mean people had great budgets and things like that they weren't limited in that way but they're you know a keyboard would have one sound on it at a certain time you know or a piano like this is you know what can we do to this piano to make it sound good and 
you know, net today we have a lot of like, well, I have every sound in the world on this one keyboard. So it's like, I can do anything, but I think that's honestly more crippling than having a keyboard that has one sound on it because you can, you can kind of get caught up in the fact of having too many options. And so it's fun for me to put myself when I, when I try to write, and I think that's one of my biggest uh, overarching themes between all these artists from the past is like, I try to put myself in that era and think of like what, where they were as an artist, where was their headspace making these songs and how can I put myself in that time where I had those limitations. And so I try to really give myself that sort of, um, that space, I guess, to work. Well, it's a framework for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's highly unique and and you're right. It's having, having so many sounds at your disposal. It, it's kind of like what, it, what they call it. Like, it's not it's like shiny syndrome or something like that where there's oh, just, right. there's yeah. there's so many things so many options to choose that it is almost crippling cuz how mm-hmm. do you choose just one right yeah right but i think it's awesome that you break it down and you get into the mindset of the artist from that decade and go okay well what were their resources what would have been at their disposal and then you can kind of narrow down those those sounds and you know start to create your track so that's awesome yeah. but I wanted to ask you too, because you talk on your website, you know, quite extensively about being a DIY artist, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that getting into that kind of framework and really trying to channel those artists like that is incredible. And I think it's really smart of you to, to be the DIY version of yourself rather than trying to go to a studio and having a producer do this for you, because they're going to be like, yeah, but industry standard, blah, 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 blah. Right. Right. So yeah. Can, you, yeah. can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? I've gone that route before too and experienced like the full studio setup, like, you know, f- full professional, you go in and I've recorded with some session musicians and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I think there's great things with that as well. And, and collaboration is always great, but I think for me too, it, it is fun to, you know, it's fun and also uh, terrifying at the same time to wear all the hats and be like, well, I got to write the song and then mix the song and produce the song and, and kind of really make it. And then everything that goes after once the track's released, you know, so that is kind of it, it. It's all it's all fun. I think you just have to kind of balance like where you are at each time. And I think it really changes for every song. Like there's times where I'll be uh I'll write full versions of things and record them and then realize, you know, oh, well, this really isn't how the song should go and I'll start over or I'll there be one effect or one way that I recorded something that then becomes the effect of the song. Like there's times too where I've I recorded tracks and then slowed them down completely and then that ends up being the studio version. I'll cut off some of the tracks and re-record them slower. So I I, I like just messing with the studio and kind of doing things like that. And as far as the uh, I have the same approach visually too. like the video component and like companion to the audio is, is I like to work a lot with super eight film uh, from 65. I shoot a lot of um, film myself and the first two music videos that I made uh, from my first record called dreamland um, back in 2020, I shot with super eight and I actually have a splicer. So I'm sitting there cutting the film myself and putting it together and I just was kind of experimenting with it and just like, how can I really put, so it's to the extreme of like, how can I put myself in the place of, of these guys? And I think it just helped me really understand the perspective and like how to create from that 
place. It really allows you to focus on different things. And, you know, so that was a lot of fun. And uh, I did a music video as well, where I was kind of experimenting with like, you know, once you have this limitation, like, how can you break that? How can you break out of it? So when you put yourself in the box of, okay, this is film I'm dealing with, with film, I've got like, I've got to be very particular about what I, uh, what I shoot and what I'm doing here, because I do have limited resources. I've got, you know, the film is not cheap, but you know, you could buy a roll of super eight film for like 40 bucks roughly. And it's about three and a half, four minutes of footage. So oh that, yeah, it's insane. So the camera is not the expensive part. You know, I think the camera, I have four of the same Super 8 camera for reasons we don't have to get into. I think I had one that got damaged. So I'm like, I'm just buying the rest of these that I can find. And I just have like a back stock of uh, my Canon little, uh, I forget exactly what model it is off the top. But anyway, it's uh, you buy the roll and then you have like three and a half, four minutes of footage with each roll. And then that's not even counting the scanning and the processing and all that stuff that goes into it. So it's like this, I have to be really strategic with what I'm shooting here. But then even with that, how can I push the envelope even more? So what I like to do is, is take the film that I shot and like cut it up and try to reassemble it or like maybe burn it, paint it. Like just how can I manipulate it in ways that, you know, if you're using digital and you have unlimited takes and things like that, you know, maybe stuff you wouldn't even think about. So it's it's given me a lot of perspective. And, and I think musically, it's done that too of like, wow, these limitations that I've given myself have actually formed new ways of creating that I just wouldn't even have come across. So it's fun. And, and then I use, you know, there's nothing wrong with digital by any means. It's a honestly a better format, but it's, uh, you know, it's better in a lot of ways. But I think that that limitation has really helped me and, and it's how I like to work. That is incredible to me because most artists today who are you know really consumed with like the digital age and everything mm -hmm. that that it brings i mean it's it's rare that we're that we're actually getting artists that are going hardcore analog with stuff so yeah. I, I think that's really incredible so i i have to know because i've i've done tape spl splicing before when i was in college mm -hmm. doing analog recordings to an actual tape deck right I know how long it took us for our tiny, teeny little project that we did. How long did it take you to just get one video done with all of the splicing you had to do? Uh, well, you know, it helped a lot that I did a lot of this during the pandemic. So it was like I had like a lot of time, as as did many of us. Um, but I mean, it, it did take a lot. Um, I think. To be honest, so much of it was therapeutic, like sitting there and like splicing the stuff that it really went by in a blur. But I mean, it, it took a long time to kind of, you know, because you're you're scanning stuff. And then before that, so I actually have a projector, too, so I can sit there and like, you know, move the film along and kind of see what's going on. And kind of as I'm splicing, it, there's also a little viewer on the splicer, but, you know, it's pretty crappy. So you don't exactly know what you're dealing with until you know, you kind of scan it. So I did a lot of, uh, I did a lot of stuff in post as well to kind of play with like, well, let's do some analog edits and then also kind of mix that in a digital world. So it's kind of like the best of both and like, how can I experiment with it and add some effects on, but yeah, I mean, it took countless hours to do that. Another project I did, uh, for this, uh, my last record is called in my garden. Um, there's a song on it called hanging on through the winter. And it's kind of this long sort of, uh, very folky, almost instrumental for a, a chunk of it. And the video I made for it was like, how can I showcase like the hard comings of winter and like, 
not only that, but just sometimes in your mind or the mental toll that that these seasons and the changes can have on you. So I wanted to express that um, in a way that that represented that. So I did. I took a lot of these uh, leaves and I attached them to the film, like in order of their life cycle. So it went from green to yellow to, you know, they started decaying. And as you play it back, you see all the leaves start to change. And that was something that took, I mean, countless hours. I mean, probably over, I think, two to 5,000 leaves, just like attaching them to the film, like just gluing stuff. And yeah, it was just a nightmare, but <laughs> such a cool thing to do. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really a dedication to sit there and do some of that stuff that, you know, I know that there's a simpler workflow there with like MIDI or with uh, digital and like, and don't get me wrong, I, I've used uh, digital elements in videos and I'm, and I'm not like full analog snob about it. Like you have to use analog. I just think it's a fun thing to, that everyone should experience is like, how can you put yourself in these places to see what you know, that's the only way that people could work at one time. I think everybody should see that. And it really puts you in perspective of like that. Maybe that's why some of these songs are so good and so timeless and film is so timeless of that era is because it's like they really had to like do things a different way. It wasn't so disposable like it is today. You know, so a lot of good stuff can still be created today, I think. But it's just it's just a different process. For sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. different process, different mindset. And I mean, you know, think about like, how, like, if you think about Phil Spector's wall of sound, right? And how, how he had to have top tier musicians like the Wrecking Crew come in so he could even be able to get that kind of sound. I mean, it just, it's like you said, it's a completely different way of life, completely mm -hmm. different mindset. But I think it's really amazing that you're paying homage to that and you're showing it a lot of respect, which a lot of, a lot, I think a lot of music consumers today, like they're just going to skip right past that, right? They're, yeah. Because, because that's how we are as consumers. We're just intaking and trying to be entertained as much as possible. But I think yeah. I love how deep you dive into these processes to really find your sound. And I think that's incredible, incredible work. Well, thank you. I think it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun to explore that. And like you said, a lot of people won't even maybe notice it, like some of the things, and that's okay. I think the end result hopefully would speak for itself. And like, maybe I'm able to create some things that can kind of like, you know, they showcase that process without you having to even know what I'm doing. But that's, that's where I think a lot of the stuff that I'm most proud of comes from is the fact that I put that time in to really like explore and, and research and do things the right way. And well, not the right way, but do things in a way that I feel honor uh, certain eras and certain time periods. It's like, if that's the kind of music I want to pull from and that kind of influence, like I, I should do that as true as I can. And, and, you know, without ripping it off and just being the, you know, uh, revival act or something because that's not what I'm about I just want to put myself it's almost like a time traveler you know what I mean it's like if I lived in that era what would I be making so that's kind of really what it comes down to that is such an awesome way to look at it because you're you're right 100% like especially in like all the lights I mean the fact that it just for me it queued up the BGs and Elton I I was transported the second like from downbeat one I, I was just like, oh, this is like, this is definitely throwing me into a 70s vibe right now. 
So. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's yeah. great to hear. Yeah. That's kind of definitely where I see myself going for the next one is like more of that um, disco soul and funk sort of influence and a Bee Gees. And I've been on a huge Prince kick. It's like a, I was always a very surface level Prince fan. I just never really was exposed to it. And, you know, you hear all the, the, the main tracks that everyone knows, but I've been kind of listening to, I think I listened to his first five albums all the way through just in the last few days, like kind of been listening to them over and over. And um, yeah, it's just really fun to kind of get through somebody's discography. I don't know. I've always kind of been like that since I was young. Like I, I've always sat there and been like an album sort of consumer where I'm like, I'm just going to start. And I start from the beginning. And if something's not gravitating with me, I'll still listen to it. And I'm like, okay, I see, it helps me see the journey of where somebody came from. So I've, I've kind of, you know, not every artist, I don't sit there and listen to everything by everybody, but I think it's fun to, to do that with the ones that really influence you is like, why don't you listen to everything in order and kind of see how they got there. Uh, and that's kind of fascinating. Absolutely. I, uh, I think the first band that I ever did that with was probably the doors. Yeah. <laughs> from from album one, I had to listen to everything else. I just had to know what else those guys were capable of. And then probably the second band would have been the grassroots. Okay. Yeah. I, I you know, I had been a, a grassroots fan for a really long time, but again, kind of like you, like surface level stuff, right? And then I don't know what happened. I think maybe a friend of mine, like, you know, gave me a record and said, hey, you know, I know you like this band. You should listen to this. And so then I, I started binge listening and now I have all of their records up in my room. <laughs> oh, that's great. That grassroots thing for me was was super influential in, in how I play guitar, especially. I, I feel that I have I have a pretty solid 60s guitar vibe when I play. So. Oh, wow. That No, that's that's really cool. I think the like the first band that I did that with, that was really like mind blowing for me and just like changed the way I approached music was with Queen. Like I started with uh, their first record and just kind of like where it was so like medieval sounding. I'm like, they have so many weird like harpsichords and all this stuff. You're just like, I feel like they're a band from the 1700s or something. It's just <laughs> so weird. There's nothing, you know, from them and they had like maybe one or two hits from their first like three records or first two records and then you start getting into sheer heart attack and like you know killer queen and some of the classic stuff you know and then just that little i almost think of it as a double album but with night at the opera and day at the races it's kind of like that yin and yang i mean those two are some of my those probably both in my top 10 records of just like or at least top 15 or so uh for influence um and just how i sing like i'm Elton has really influenced how I sing too, but I think Freddie is like, that's how I taught myself how to sing. Honestly, it was just like singing to Freddie Mercury tunes and, and uh, things like that. So it's just uh, hearing some just masterful work on there and the falsetto and, and they were another band too, that really explored the studio. And like, they did a lot of stuff that I, I bet a lot of people don't even think about like the, them as like a, a studio band of like the, some of the stuff they did. You really think of like their epic live shows, but they really were pioneers in the studio too. So I, I love listening to all the techniques they did and things like that.
absolutely 100 percent you know i and i think you know for i grew up listening to queen too so they're you know they're a massive influence and um i think brian may honestly influenced a shit ton of my guitar riffs that i play <laughs> whenever i'm whenever i'm jamming out um yeah I wanted to ask you, since we were talking about records that are obscure and like people aren't really familiar with, Elton John's first record that he put out, and it had like 60 years on on it. Yeah. That song, I didn't know was his because I heard that song first when Brandy Carlisle covered it. Really? Okay. Yeah. Have, have you heard her version of it? I haven't heard her version, but I knew that she had done one. But that's fascinating. I love when that happens, too, when you find a song, you're like, oh, I didn't even realize this was originally someone else's work. So that's kind of fun. But no, I mean, yeah, he had some very obscure stuff early on. It kind of took him a few albums to find his sound. But I still really love his early records. And um, there's some really good stuff on on his first couple. I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's like the Ballad of a Well-Known Gun or something like that record. Uh, tumbleweed connection is that yeah, what it's called or tumbleweed something? connection yeah yeah that record is one of my favorites of his too so and that's like a headache his second or third so yeah. that's yeah an unbelievable songwriter really was well and you know i think um like listening to brandy's version of it where it's super stripped down and it's mm -hmm. just her and an acoustic guitar. So it's literally the antithesis of what you hear on Elton's arrangement because it's it's full production, there's orchestra, yeah. and, and it's so dark for him. Mm -hmm. And and for you know, Bernie Topin, for Bernie's lyrics, it is incredibly dark. And so you're listening to it and you're like, Is this actually Elton or am I getting pranked? You know? <laughs> yeah. Because it no, just doesn't it's fit. So true. Yep. Though he had some tracks like um oh I'm blanking on it that uh madman across the water super dark and also like um i think is it indian sunset or something there's another one on that record and it's just so like man like the orchestrations on it are just like i don't even think people think you don't think elton and think like orchestrations but he had some masterful like work there like just the way the songs really flowed and you know that I think my ultimate record for Elton is just Honky Chateau, though. Like, front yeah. to back is just, like, such a great one. And I've, yeah, a lot of my, the way I play keys and uh, some of my songs, Not So Fast off of my album In My Garden is such a Elton-style play. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I he's just been very influential on in how I like to play keys. For sure, for sure. Okay, well, so, so let's talk about, like, All the Lights and... Mm -hmm. And where this this album that is gonna follow? Because I'm I'm guessing like all the lights has just come out in March, right? Yeah, I put that out at the end of March. I think it was the okay. 28th, so kind of like carried into that. And it was the first single of kind of this new batch of songs I'm working on. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like a disco, funk, soul influenced record is kind of where it's at. We'll see where it ends up. Like it always starts in one place and maybe pivots a little bit. But I mean, it's it's got influences all the way from uh, like where I started was really a lot of ABBA Hall and Oates like influence into it and kind of like, like that seventies, like really clean and lush, like pop sound, but like has a lot of like groove to it. And then like now it's like the sort of dirty elements of like what Prince did on some of his records and like how clean it still is, but like, he just really very rock and roll about it. And, um, but of course the, the pristine nature of the Bee Gees and like, just like that late seventies sort of like crispy sound. Um, it's kind of like, 
pulling from a lot of those guys and, and also like some Japanese artists, um, like the disco they were making at, at um, in the seventies and hearing some Afro disco from the seventies as well. It's like, just what did disco sound like in all these different parts of the world? Like, that's kind of fascinating. Like I I'd never really thought about it until I started finding some of it. And I'm like, it's very different, but it's still like, it's got all the characteristics of disco. It's got the, you know, the, like the classic strings and things like that. And the, of course the, the bass, bass lines and grooves. So yeah, it's, it's trying to encompass all that, I think in, in one picture. I love that. I love it. So, um, and, and diving in a little bit more about all the lights you had, you know, mentioned on your website about how, you know, it's, it's, there's a story behind it that kind of goes in tandem with your mental health and mm -hmm. what that journey has looked like for you. And I was hoping that maybe we could talk a little bit about that. Cause I, I do think that it's important for everybody who is, you know, working through mental health to kind of help bring some of that to the light instead of, yeah. instead of just kind of like everybody going, no, shh, don't talk about it. Right. right. No. I, yeah. That's, that's very true. I think a lot of the songs I'm currently working on are very, some of my darkest and most personal lyrics to me that, that I've been working on. And and it is a lot about mental health and struggles and just like things that everybody goes through and not everybody wants to bring up and, and talk about, but I think they're important things to kind of acknowledge. Um, and for me, it was kind of one of those things that uh, how can I sort of put these lyrics like a lot of my, a lot of the best ways to talk about things, I think, are to kind of have some humor with it and to kind of like even things that are not funny and, and they're not humorous topics. But for me, it's like it's easiest to bring up my own issues in, in kind of a self-deprecating way. So there's kind of like <laughs> a lot of that coming in, in some of the songs. And, um, and with this song specifically, it's like all the lights is kind of like it's it's a it's a mental health song kind of disguised as like, you know, it, it is kind of like a, a, all the lights of the disco. It's kind of sounds like it could mean something else, but it really means like, Hey, what happens when some of that light starts to fade on you and, and some of your inspiration goes and what are you going to do? And, and so it's me kind of trying to address that and, and play upon the idea of like uh, in a fun way in an environment that's like musically, I think it's very upbeat and energetic and, and a lot of fun, uh, parts to it but then with a very like serious message behind it and I think that's kind of how I've always liked to work I love I really like songs that um, I don't have a specific example but songs that kind of like they give you lyrics that are one thing and the music doesn't reflect that at all I think that's such a great package to have and it's yeah. really fun to explore or like maybe you have some lyrics that are like some of the happiest sounding lyrics and then the musically it's just very depressing and like not fitting of that and then vice versa like I have uh there's this one song I did uh, called Sleep Softly um, with with my last band. And it's kind of like a very uh, sad and melancholy or sorry, very like uh, just lullaby like uh, number that's like in three, four. And it kind of just like sways back and forth. But the lyrics are kind of about like, like uh, discovering a serial killer and like finding them. And uh, yeah, I was just, I was going through a lot of true crime uh, period <laughs> in my life. So it's like this like sleep softly and like you know you can uh, put your mind at ease but also there's a serial killer next door so don't <laughs> don't sleep too soft um but yeah so it's that's kind of how i like to approach some of these serious topics is like how can we get into them in a way that's approachable for everybody and like let's just have a conversation yeah for sure i the the one song that's kind of coming to mind that has a vibe that like that is pumped up kicks 
You're right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great example of a song that's like it's a surface level. You don't know what's happening. And then and when it hits you, it's just like, oh, my. Yeah. You're like, oh, I've been singing along to this melody. And then I realized it was a mm -hmm. really, really deep message. And you go, shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to pause on you one more time. But my dog is losing her mind. Let me yeah, grab man. her. Uh, the other one's outside. Yeah. Two seconds. No worries. Cool. Um, all right. So, you know, with the with the subliminal messaging, if you will, that's kind of laced in in your music. On your journey of mental health, like, what can you say has been kind of a defining moment for you and like helping you? Maybe you know if and if you have turned stuff around, awesome. If you haven't, that's okay. But yeah. you know what what has led you to really you know find the need to put this into your music well i think it's just the realization that like acknowledging things is is very powerful and it's like a lot of times i mean it's the first step to a lot of things but it's also like i think the biggest and for me it's like it's something that just kind of comes and goes but and i, I feel in a really good place but it's also like there's times where you just you know things can consume you from inside out and musically music is another thing that consumes me inside out in a positive way. So it's like, well, let's bring the two together and like, how can, how can they kind of coexist? And I think the biggest thing for me and it can maybe a biggest piece of advice I could just lay on somebody who's if anybody that's dealing with anything is just to give yourself those breaks, even day to day. Uh, that's a really big thing that I'm still dealing with is like, cause I, I find a lot of my struggles are self-inflicted. That's a lot of like, um go 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 mentality and like i always there's always somebody you know if i stop and take a break there's all there's all these other people that aren't doing that and you know and it's like that isn't necessarily the case and if it is it doesn't matter really what else, what somebody else is doing you, you got to kind of focus on on yourself and and your own sanity and and breaks are just very important um even just like in the writing process i find it's it's helped me creatively of like if i Sometimes I'll sit there and do a, a full day session and not take a break. And then you get like burnt out by the end. Whereas if you just would have taken one like 15 minute break, like to kind of in between processes, you come back. It's just like, it's amazing how refreshed you feel after like something's that short. So, you know, that that's probably the thing I'd stress the most is like, you know, listening to the thoughts that come to you and like like don't ever try to shut off your brain it's not going to happen but listen to those thoughts let them come and and for me that's what i've needed to do is kind of like listen to what they're saying but also like just take a step back a, a lot and take breaks and and you know like i said it's just it's something that's that's always there and just like with music it's like it's eventually something that's going to cross paths and how can i make them coexist and and acknowledge it in a way that's a creative uh, outlet. So that's kind of been healthy for me. I've got a healthy relationship with it for sure, but it's, uh, it's always the acknowledgement that's, that's, you know, things are always going to be there to, to, to be in the way. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think too, as creatives, our brains are more susceptible to kind of getting into a period of like, we just feel completely all consumed by, you know, yeah. everything in the industry, you know, the constant, the constant comparison that you see that is on social media, 
but also to like trying to reconcile the fact that you have to be on social media to help get your music out. You know, you have right. to have to be, you know, trying to not necessarily be in people's faces, but just be present so that they can actually see you. And, you know, there's a quote that I, I hear time and time again, that comparison is the death of joy. Mm hmm. And I think it's really important for those of us who do struggle with you know, mental health issues that we remember that the second that we start comparing ourselves to other people, we're missing the mark and we need to take a break and regroup, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's very true. Yep. And it's kind of one of those things too that like just like you said, comparing is like everybody's in a different place and everybody, you know, you don't know those full experiences that everybody's going with. And, and it's so true about social media and like the presence of things and just how fast moving life can be sometimes and how, you know, everybody's attention spans are getting shorter. So you kind of have to, you know, capitalize on that sort of uh, short form content that, that we live in these days. And it's like, which goes so against everything I believe in of like, how can I, splice film together by myself <laughs> and make it into short form content it just these worlds don't collide um right. so you know it's it, that's a tough one too just the realization of like how people consume media and just where we are i think that's eventually also going to come all the way right back full circle too so it'd be very intriguing to see where it goes and i'm not a i'm not anti-social media or anything i think a lot of it is uh it's just it's just interesting culturally i think where it, where it puts us but you know it's intriguing to see but yeah I, I think the just the disposable nature of so much of of our our lives is just fascinating we're for where we are at this time you know like even films are just like regurgitated stuff that people aren't writing they're just remaking stuff and you know, a lot of music is just regurgitated, like remixes of things. And it's just kind of like, what are we doing here? Um, it's right. just kind of a weird spot. And it's just something that I don't know, I, I like to push past all that. So that, that's kind of a main goal of mine, too, is like, how can we like keep making some new things today? So I don't know. It's it's a fascinating point, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I really hope that things come first full circle faster than slower. Um, <laughs> because I, I personally like, I love and I hate social media. I think that yeah. it's, you know, it's a monster that is a necessary monster, unfortunately. Yep. But I, I definitely hope that our disposable kind of society culture that we're in right now really falls away, you know, and on many planes and aspects, but, mm -hmm. um, especially for when it comes to consuming art, right? Yeah. Because art right. is, art is not supposed to be disposable. Art is not supposed to be fleeting. It is supposed to make you stop and think long-term hardcore. Sometimes art can even make you reassess your life. Yeah. And yeah. I would really like to see our society get back to that. Yeah, it's it's really true. I think it's it's fascinating to see just where uh where these technologies and like the AI is leading us and just so fast. It's just it's crazy. It's like it's like on one hand you're just like, dude, this is incredible stuff that is happening and like it's it's ama it's amazing. Um but at the same time I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um <laughs> and you know, 
just like some of the songs even that you hear like from uh i mean obviously so many areas are going to be affected by ai i don't think there's one job that's not in jeopardy of that i mean there's plenty but you know what i mean and especially in the art world it's like you know you can just make digital art that looks better than anything you've ever seen but it doesn't look right you know what i mean but it can just pump stuff out also the the way that it's uh, i don't know if you've heard any of these like songs that are coming out that are like ai generated or like they can change the voice to sound like somebody else or i just heard one that was like they took a uh a new Beatles to, or sorry, a, a new Paul McCartney song from a few years ago. And they like de-aged his voice to sound like the young version of himself. And they made some of the parts sound like John. And it's like, it's not quite right, but give it two, three years, probably less than that. And it's going to sound, you know, there's going to be Beatles records in the charts again, and they're going to be all AI and it's <laughs> going to be fascinating. I don't know how what to make of it. Um, all the AI, I, I am, I do. I am kind of concerned about that. Like just, you know, I mean, charts are charts, but like when everything is dominated by like uh, artificial music, I mean, what does that even mean? Really? I don't know. Is it still music? I guess so. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't know. How, how, in how incredible, but yet crazy and scary would it be if you were on like a billboard top 100 chart mm -hmm. next to John Lennon, right? next to oh, man. Jimi Hendrix right at that point it's like and if it was done well enough that you couldn't tell that it wasn't mm -hmm. them exactly what does that mean for music god that is a scary but yet yeah. also kind of cool thought too right right yeah exactly <laughs> like you're kind of like yeah you, it's i think that's why the technology is happening in the first place is because it is so intriguing and people are you know, they have to explore things to a fault. Like, let's see what we can do with this. But it is intriguing. And I, I think I'm concerned, too, about like not so much like just the random guy making a, a Beatles record and being like or, you know, a whatever, a Kendrick Lamar album. And it's just like some guy made it. But I'm more concerned about like, well, what are the labels going to do with that? What are the studios going to say, like that own the rights to these artists that have deceased or things like that? And like, well, we can just put out these unreleased demos and like generate his voice on top of it and sell it as a product. And like, I think that's a legit concern that you're going to see. And it's like, I don't think the consumers necessarily care where it came from or what it really means. It just means more music from an artist they like, but I don't know if morally where that's going to lead us. Um, so it, it's an intriguing fact and not to get too dark with it, but it's, it's curious to see where it goes. Um, I don't know exactly what copyright laws are in place as well for like your voice. So if this technology gets well enough to just take anybody's voice and make the greatest mashup of all time with, you know, all these people, I mean, what's going to stop that? So I don't know. Correct. Well, and I mean, I'm sure that you've heard even that, like, you know, some people are getting really concerned because there there are AI bots that are stealing your voice and like mm -hmm. calling your grandma and trying yeah, to tell her that you're in crazy. jail, you know? Yeah, so this blackmail. <laughs> right. Blackmail. Exactly. So like, are we going to have to get to the point where we actually copyright our own voices to protect ourselves? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, we probably already signed away our copyrights <laughs> when we give our voices to our phones and all that. So they probably own it. They'll probably own it before we do. That's, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's we'll true. see. But no, you're right. It's it's crazy to think about, especially with all the like, I think the first iteration of that I noticed was like all the deep fake stuff, right? You start seeing people's faces on things and it's like something's not quite right about it, but it's starting to get better and better. And now here comes the the audio component of that with like your voice. Like there's nothing to stop like 
people making blackmail like that has you in it and your voice and it's like how can you I don't know I don't know how you deny that stuff like right kind of thankful I don't have to worry about someone stealing my face right now but I don't know what you do it could be you know honestly like I don't think that we're we're very far out from people being able to do that I mean you know Mm -hmm literally living in the movie face off where faces are getting swapped and voices are being swapped exactly it's like did we not did we not learn we've come on it's already written there (laughs) i love how this has turned into like conspiracy theory (laughs) yeah right i don't know where we how we ended up here but that's very fun free flowing right i love it i kind of want to play with that though just to tie it back into music because like i want to maybe uh bring some of that into into my new record somehow so look out for that. I'm gonna to try to yeah bring bring AI one way or another to see what what that what that does for the record and just kind of to explore some of those possibilities. Absolutely. Well, and I mean they you know they have like AI producers and stuff now that essentially can record mm-hmm. your and mix and master your record for you. So I mean, wow. If that's you know if that's one of the endless possibilities, just imagine how many other countless like what if you were able to put elton john on your record like what if you paid Mm -hmm. a copyright fee to have elton's voice for like 30 seconds on one of your songs that's fascinating yeah that's another thing too that i didn't think about like they could be like uh licensing themselves out to like yeah i mean i'm get. i guess you could that's so weird and crazy (laughs) (laughs) well i mean like okay so you i'm sure you listened to elton's song uh with dua lipa right cold cold Mm -hmm. heart yeah i've heard that one it doesn't sound like 2023 elton's voice to me that sounds a little more like 70s elton with a touch of today's elton well, you know what's funny about that is that song, he actually had a song called Cold Heart that is what she's sampling. It's a track from the 80s that she made, you know, into a into a hit. But it's it is weird. It's like because that's the one I, I'm mixing up another one, too, where I don't want to confuse him. There's one he did. That's like another. He's got like two remixes that are just like blowing up right now. But I think there's one that's like this is the one that's kind of like with uh, the Rocket Man influence. Right. And like that she sampled some of that, right? Yeah. So okay. okay, so maybe is that what they did then? Like basically they sampled him from the 80s record? Yeah, they took a song. I think the song was even called Cold Heart or maybe it wasn't, I don't remember, but it was an 80s tune that I don't think I mean, I'm not super familiar with it, but it was one that she yeah, she sampled that and then I think for the chorus she's then singing like another one of his like she's singing Rocket Man kind of pulling from that. So, yeah, I okay. thought that was super weird, but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that kind of stuff either personally, but I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I just pulled it up. So it's, it's cold okay. heart. And yeah. so, okay. That, that makes more sense to me now. Cause I was just, as I listened to it, I'm like, is this actually him like today right. or did this come off of another thing? Cause I don't think I've, I've actually heard cold heart. So I'm, yeah, I don't think right. a lot of people have. I went, I, I kind of discovered that too when I, uh, it wasn't an album I went super deep into. I kind of drop off after like his, you know, early 80s period and went very 70s with his records. But yeah, when I went and listened to it, I was like, oh, this is, this is wild that, yeah, I, I'd recommend listening to it. it. It's kind of a trip to to hear. It's a much different sort of, if I recall, much more of a ballady type of track. Yeah. 
Okay. So yeah, it's, it's intriguing. I, I, I think that is a concern though, as far as like just the remixes and like, not, not remixes, but like just where that leads things to with like borrowing people's voices or stealing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Julian, I cannot thank you enough for this awesome conversation from music to talking about your influences and then even talking about conspiracy theory AI. (laughs) Exactly. I love it. This is perfect. (laughs) Great place to end. I try to end all my conversations with AI conspiracy theories (laughs) these days. I'm glad we got there. Uh, No, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Absolutely. All right, man. So all of your links are going to be in the show notes. So everybody, please make sure that you go and you listen to Julian's music. Um, when is the next scheduled release? Do you have a date yet? I don't have a date yet, but I think in the next month or so, and I'm planning to have this record. I'm actually going to Europe um, in uh, in the fall. So I'm trying to, I'm going to play some shows out in Europe. So I hope to have the record out before then. Uh, so look for the, look out for the summer. I'm going to have some more stuff coming out. It's all, like I said, disco influence, a lot of funk and soul and playing upon that and, and still keeping the the rock influence and, and elements as well. So yeah, I think next couple months I'll, I'll definitely gonna be dropping some more stuff. All right, man. Well, this sounds good. Thank you so much again for the talk and, uh, and congratulations on all your success. I can't wait to see what happens for you this year. Thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Julian. That was a super fun conversation. I loved like digging into music influences decade for decade for you, man. That was super cool, and I had just the best time talking about all of your influences. So, everybody, make sure that you check out the links in the show notes. Go check out Julian Fulco Perone's music. His single "All the Lights" is out now. Thank you again, and please make sure that you like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that we can get indie artists to more fans, more music enthusiasts. Thank you all so much. Until next time.